This is Challenge Extended, the adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Challenge Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Challenge Extended provides an opportunity to share personal stories of our nation's adaptive athlete, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Born with a rare condition in which the fibulas in his legs were never formed, A.J. Digby had both his legs amputated below the knee when he was 10 months old and was fitted for prothesis just after his first birthday. Sports has always played an important role in his life and with his family. He played quarterback and linebacker for his high school junior varsity team and special teams on the varsity squad. A.J. first learned about Paralympic track and field after watching the 2008 Beijing Paralympic Games online and considers U.S. teammate Jerome Singleton, the first Paralympian he ever met, a mentor after being taken under his wing. A.J. is a member of the national championship-winning 4x400-meter relay team at the 2017 NCAA Division III Outdoor Track and Field Championships for Mount Union, and is a former member of the U.S. National Development Sled Hockey Team. He aspires to one day be a college coach. So my guest today is A.J. Digby. A.J., welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited and definitely blessed to be able to be here today and, and join you. And th- again, thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, for those that, that don't know, you know, maybe you or your background, I thought we'd just start by talking about, um, you know, maybe sports uh, as, you know, in your younger years. Or how did you get started into sports? Uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, well, kind of first off, um, uh, Double baloney amputee. I was born with bifibular hemimelia. So my fibula bones in both legs were not formed. And at 10 months of age, I had my uh, double amputation. So I was an amputee from as long as I can remember and started off that way. And that's the only way I've ever grown and known my whole life. But I grew up playing all sorts of sports or being around tons of sports as well. Both of my parents were involved in football and cheerleading for my mom and volleyball and track. I kind of got a little bit of everything, basketball, baseball, all of it, mixed with the fact that I had a lot of cousins who were my age on one side of the family. I had two that were slightly older, that we played a lot of sports together. And then I have triple cousins that are six months younger than me on the other side of the family. Uh, So I grew up playing a little bit of everything. And then later on my sister and brother came in. So I've played a little bit of everything most of my life. And my parents always did a great job to never tell me no, never tell me that there was Mm -hmm. anything I can't do. And it was more so just how I can adapt it to be able to do it myself. And because they kind of let me do things myself, it made me more interested in what I was doing. So when I was really young, I I started out football the most. Football was kind of my first love and played football all the time, played some basketball, town baseball, uh, and stand-up hockey. And then later on in life, I switched into sled hockey, which I have played for, I want to say, five or six years now. Spent a Mm -hmm. couple years on the development team uh, with sled hockey and had to stop that when I was here at college just because of, of being busy with other things. But I played football in my whole life into junior high played a little bit on the high school team as well and had to quit basketball after I tore my meniscus in my right knee. And I mean, I wasn't that great anyway. I I was (laughs) throwing up bricks every other day and basketball, but 
Uh, baseball had to stop because I picked up track. Uh, I went to, or I heard about the Paralympics and found a meet that was in Michigan called Thunder in the Valley Games. And mm-hmm. when I went there, Jerome Singleton, who's a single leg amputee, who had been a medalist in the Paralympics or world championships was there. And I was only 11 or 12 years old. And just the way that he talked and the way that he carried himself and being a member of team USA, I left that telling my parents, this is what I want to do. I want to run track. I want to be a member of team USA and I want to run in the Paralympics and and wear that flag on my chest. And then it was about five years later when Rio came around and I did that and I walked through opening ceremonies and got a selfie with Jerome who is my idol. So to be able to go through that whole experience with him and he's the kind of the one that got me started, I would say in towards the career path that I've, that I've been on. And so to be able to experience that with him was very unique and very cool. I've also spent the last four years running track at my college university of Mount union here in Alliance, Ohio, won a couple division three national championships both as a team in the four by four and then one individual in the open 400 so that's a long-winded encapsulation of everything that I've done since having my amputation at 10 months so you know before we get into obviously your more details about track um, so you know playing other sports in school uh, particularly for organized teams, did you did you feel welcomed? I mean, what was the environment like? What kind of adaptations did you have to make? What ap- adaptations do you feel like others had to make? So where I grew up, pretty much my grandparents, my parents had all been around that area for a long time. So we knew everybody, small town, that really small town feel. So everybody knew pretty much everybody around the area. Everybody knew of my situation, which definitely helped in that regard. For the most part, it wasn't too crazy because everybody knew and everybody knew the way that my parents were and and my my ability level, really. They kind of just let me do whatever. And, and eventually I learned too and would tell people, hey, I am almost as capable as everybody else. And the few areas that I can't do what they can do, I'll find a way to adapt myself. So don't try to coach me any different. Don't try to teach me any different. Teach me the way that you'll teach every other able-bodied person. And I'll just have to find the little bit of nuance that that makes it applicable to me. So that's kind of my mentality and how I went about a lot of different sports. At, at football, I probably spent the most of my time at quarterback. So it was a position where I was able to use my arms a little bit more. But even stuff like footwork, stuff, you know, I, I just – had that mentality that you teach me as you'll teach everybody else and I'll find out the way to make it work for me. And in baseball, it wasn't too much of an issue. And I think for the most part, I was received in a very, very well way. And I was very blessed that I was in that sort of situation where everybody cared about me, but didn't treat me differently. I was treated the same as everybody else Mm -hmm. held to the same standards. And I think that's what really helped me succeed in sports because I pushed myself and wanted to be better than other people because that's how I was to get playing time. That's how I was going to get better. And I I wasn't treated any differently and I'm definitely thankful and blessed for, for that whole situation while I was growing up playing a little bit of everything. And and obviously being in a sports centered or sports oriented family, uh, I, I could see where you get some of the, the ideas and the values, but, but what, particularly was it about sport for you 
uh, you know, like if you had to say, you know, sports makes me feel or sports makes me blank, what, what would sport be for you? I would say in some ways it makes me feel free is probably the best way to describe it, especially track because it was having running legs was kind of that ability for me to level the playing field as opposing to have, as opposed to have big bulky feet that I used with every other sport. But all in all, I would just say it made me feel free because, you know, when you're in the game and you're in the moment, nobody's thinking about, oh, this kid doesn't have legs. And sometimes it even goes off of my mind and I forget about it. And all I'm thinking about is the next play, the next basket, the next whatever, whatever is up next. And I'm not thinking about anything else that could possibly hold me back or hold me down. And so sports to me was ultimately just freeing in, in every sense of the word, really. Mm. That's a good point. And, and so then, um, obviously, going through uh, the, all those team sports, what, what was it about track and track and field that made you want to switch to that and focus on that sport? I think the very start of track was just going along that freedom feeling was because when I first got my pair of running legs, that was the first time I was actually able to run and and run for a longer period of time and not have crazy pain because when you have big heavy feet at the end of at the end of the prosthetics especially when I was younger and the technology wasn't as light and nimble as it is now true <laughs> I I was you know it's it's a challenge that's a lot on your hip flexors on all of your muscles and as well as that foot doesn't really bend and even to today the legs that I have so if I'm trying to run on on my what I term my walking legs I'm hitting heel first and that essentially shoots up into my hips, into my back. And so running anything over than a short sprint, like across the baseball field or a short sprint across, you know, basketball court was, was a little bit challenging because once I got into opening up that stride, that started to hurt a little bit. And so when I got my first pair of running legs, it allowed me to be able to extend and, and free myself and not have that sort of restrictive, painful feeling mixed with the fact that that was a pair that was one of the first Paralympic sports I ever heard of and found. And we saw that there were a lot of abilities or places around the area to go run at and chances opportunities for me to progress up into a higher level. And especially when then I met Jerome and knew that that's what I wanted to do. You know, that was kind of the focus all throughout high school was track and how do I get better at track, trying to find other coaches for over the summer and just improving every little bit that I can. And that's track to me was just an extenuation of the freedom when it first started. And then it just opened up so many doors and opportunities that it kind of was, this is the, this is the correct choice for sure. And even though I love football, no, no doubts about that, but it just made a lot more sense based on my abilities, some of my hindrances, that track was going to be the thing for me. And so that's kind of what my pursuit has been for the last nine years, really. So is there, was there anything that about, you know, I mean, most people think track as a kind of an individualistic sport. Was there anything to it in regards to an individual sport versus a team sport? I've always enjoyed team sports, and that's kind of where – it, it was nice that I was able to play sled hockey in the off season of track mm -hmm. because I enjoy team sports, especially the physical nature of sled hockey. It kind of matched that football thing that I love. 
And I thought that it was, it ended up being a good balance because I was playing for my club team for a while. And then I was on the development team for a while. So I kind of was a two sport athlete trying to make it in both ways until I fully focused on track here the last couple of years. But I enjoy both. I don't think there's anything that drew me much from the individualistic side of things other than knowing that I 100% control my outcomes in track. You know, there's no, obviously there's competition and competitors, but it's all about how well I run or don't run as opposed to when you get into some of those team sports where, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole group, which makes it a lot more fun when you win, I feel like, because you have people to share that experience, that bond with. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I would just say the biggest thing for me is I was lucky that I have a very good balance and was able to split that up into two as, as well as being at the high school and collegiate level. It's very much a team sport as well. And being that we were able to win two team championships as well, just makes, makes it so much sweeter that I was able to experience the best of both worlds in, in my time. That's true. When you're with a team, you have the, you can enjoy the thrill of victory, but you also have to suffer the the the, uh, the thrill of defeat. I guess I should say, or <laughs> ultimate defeat as a team as well. So let's talk about a track. Or let's just talk about you know sport or being a collegiate athlete at at the or an athlete at the collegiate level in general. So you know that's a big jump for many high school students from high school to college. Um, how did you, uh, how did you determine what school to go to? And, you know, did they have all the things that you needed as an adaptive athlete, if you will, um, and talk about, you know, that, that kind of decision-making process and maybe even some of the, um, the, the successes as well as challenges you, you've endured uh, as a collegiate athlete. Yeah. So when I was in high school, being that I was competing with the goal of Rio 2016, which was my high school graduation year, I had been competing at a semi-international level and practicing over the summers and, and more often practicing for a longer duration of the season than most people at my level. So I would say in that regards, it helped my transition into college because I was used to a little bit extra. You know, it's it's not like high school practices where you can show up and run. Eh, I'm on the high school team. I was already in that mindset that I'm pushing above and beyond most high school athletes that I was with. And most of my teammates that I was with, because I was running over the summer, I was running over the winter and indoor, which was optional essentially at, at my time for sure. A hundred percent optional then. But when I was looking at colleges, I obviously wanted somewhere that was going to accept and want me. My times coming out of high school weren't great. I was still progressing and working towards that next level. But I want to say my senior year of high school, my best 400 was a 51-3, which is, I mean, still good, but it's not great. I wasn't making it out of districts in any sense of the word in that level. So there's not a ton of interest, I would say, from most colleges other than a couple D3 colleges in the area. So Ohio Northern, Heidelberg, and and then eventually I looked at Mount Union. And those three kind of had the most amount of interest in me, I would say. And what really stood out to me is that when I came to visit Mount Union, I was wearing sweatpants that day because it was raining. And the head track coach had only looked at my times online, hadn't actually met me or watched me compete before, had only seen my times on the website. And so he didn't actually know that I was an amputee until about halfway through our tour when I said, 
coach, there's something I should let you know before we progress and pulled up both of my pant legs and said, I'm a double amputee. I'm on the U.S. national team or at that time I had been on the junior national team for a while or junior world teams competing and was just working my way up to the national team had competed at Doha, but she pulled up my pant legs and said, this is my situation. This is what I want to do. I want to compete in track. I want to progress, get better. And I just wanted him to know. And the, the moment he saw that there was not a blink in his eye and he was all, all for it, all over it. And wanted me to be there. He said, I'm more than willing to take this challenge, take this opportunity and work with you. And he said, I can assure you, I'll push you just as hard, if not harder than the other guys, if that's what you want. And basically I knew right away in that visit that it it was coach Lucas was the kind of coach that I wanted to be my coach to help me progress over the next four years leading into Tokyo. And, and, kind of looking at a D3 school that was coach Kathy Sellers, who was the U S national team coach at the time mm-hmm. had told me, try to go to a D3 school, especially with how much I valued my academic side. And she said, run for four years there. And then you can kind of reevaluate where you are. Cause I was also looking at going maybe going to train at the training center, the Olympic training center, or just going to college, where to go to college. And she said, go to a D3 school, make sure that you focus on both and go somewhere that wants you because otherwise you won't enjoy it. You won't want to be there. So I took her advice as well as my experience on my visit with Mount Union. And I left Mount Union pretty sure that that's where I wanted to go. That's where I wanted to be. And the last four years have been all of amazing, even if it's not for some of the accomplishments, just just all the experiences and the, the way that I've been able to be around the guys and the team and it's it's been one of the best decisions of my life to be honest to go to Mount Union it was a perfect distance from home to where I was I was on my own I had to learn to to live on my own there was nobody I knew when I first moved into Mount nobody from my school came here but it was also close enough to home where I could be there they could come watch the meet or whatever's going on so I felt full support from both sides of Ohio essentially. And (laughs) it was definitely the, probably the best decision I ever made was to commit to coach Lucas and come to Mount Union and absolutely loved it. So did you finish up this semester? Yeah. So this last semester was my graduation, uh, finished it up online and Mm -hmm. are waiting on commencement in the fall as are most people. And I finished with a bachelor of science of exercise science was my field of study. I minored in coaching and then I was accepted into our graduate school program for a master's of athletic coaching. So I'll be able to take that the next couple of years online. And because I lost my spring semester, the NCAA granted eligibility. So I'm going to be taking my fifth year of eligibility outdoor and run here again at Mount Union and try to finish what we had started this last year. Uh, it was sad to lose indoor, but obviously the probably the right call at the end of the day and just ready to work forward and and progress into next summer right next spring right before tokyo and push that whole that whole year essentially got moved back from me but i was happy to get accepted into that program and start moving moving forward yeah, I thought um, since you said you graduated in 2016 that you'd also be graduating in 2020 from college uh, if you were on a, on the traditional four-year plan. So you've had to, like many college seniors, have had to 
forego, you know, spring, uh, spring sports and, and your graduation. So, how, you know, how, obviously you've been, you just said you've been taking that in stride, but you know, how, how have you been able to adjust to that? It's for sure a challenge. And I think what somewhat helped me is that both, so my brother was a high school senior this last year and I was a college senior. Oh so my. we both had to experience kind of that same thing together. He had gotten, uh, hate to mess this up Keegan but I feel like you were third in indoor weight throw uh, but he was set up to have a really good year he was set up to go to states for Ohio and, and compete at the state championship meet for outdoor mm-hmm. which would have been his first time doing that and that got taken away for him just the same as we were at the indoor national championships the day before they were supposed to start when they were canceled for us and we had four people that made the d3 400 so we were poised to do well as well so it was kind of I felt both worlds between him and mine, it, it was a little bit easier because we were able to kind of go through it together separately, but together uh, as well as with the rest of my teammates. And for me personally, the way that I looked at it is everybody's going through this situation. So you have to do what you've done your whole life and just adapt. And so that's what I've been trying to do during this process is adapt and, and make this work the best way it can for me because everybody has to deal with it in one way or another. Some people it's much harder than others. Some people have weight sets or an easy access to a track and then some people don't. And so the way that I've said is everybody's in the same ocean, but not in the same boat, but you can determine how hard you want to paddle. And so I've been using this time to try to heal up and recover for about a month or two. Once it first started, especially when everything was closed, I've had a little bit of hamstring issues the last year or two. So I kind of took that time and stride to heal up a little bit more. And then uh, recently here towards the end of May, started to get back into the weight room and uh, progress back onto the track here at the beginning of June and just start a long process of getting ready for outdoor season and Tokyo. I don't have another competition for nearly nine, 10 months. So not trying to push it too hard or put too much strain on myself, but also starting that long process to get ready because it really is a year long process to be ready for the type of things that I'm looking for in Tokyo. So you mentioned Jerome, what, what was it about Jerome that, that um, you decided to kind of, um, you know, kind of go under his wings a little bit and, you know, what were you looking for as, as a mentor and what has he been able to, to provide or support you with? I think for me, it started that I had no idea what the Paralympics were a year before I met him. And then when I did find out what they were, track was the first thing I gravitated for because I saw a lot of amputees. I saw a lot of people that were like me that were competing at a high level. And he was obviously one of the ones that stood out with his successes. And then when I finally met him, he was so charismatic, had such the biggest smile on his face, was all up running around me, helping me to, Hey, if you do this, you know, it'll help you get better. Or if you do this and just in like a two day camp and at while at the course of this competition and to see the way that he carried himself, talked to everybody was, was one of the best people uh, that I've ever met really. And was just so charismatic and made me feel so welcome as a, you know, a 14 year old at that point and made me feel like that's something that I want to do. I want to be able to wear the team USA gear and carry the USA bag, but also be like he was and just treat everybody with great respect and 
make everybody have fun. I mean, his, his smile, his character was just unprecedented and, and made me feel comfortable, comfortable right from the get go and made me want to be like that and try to brighten other kids day in the future when I can go to little meets here and there and be somebody that they've seen on online or on TV nowadays with NBC. And so it's, it really just started with his charisma and his smile was very infectious, very contagious. And my parents said that that when we left that meet, that my smile and the way that I was talking made them know that that's what I wanted to do as well. So uh, you, uh, you hit the nail right on the head. I, I was going to, I was thinking the word contagious too. So, so it was <laughs> contagious and obviously you got that same kind of smile uh, afterwards as well. And, and of course you mentioned AJ uh, Rio, what was it like, you know, going to a competition, obviously the Paralympics at that level, walking into the stadium for the first time, being able to represent team USA, you know, what kind of, um, you know, did you have, the, the nervousness kind of in your stomach? Did you have excitement, a little bit of both? Come walk, walk us through maybe kind of some of that first time experience that you had. Yeah, so what really helped me is the with the way that USA track and all of our different entities that we have, I was able to go to junior, uh, IWAS junior games for two years in Puerto Rico and in London. So that really helped me get some international experience. And then I was able to do the same thing with the adult national team at world championships in Doha, Qatar. So those three experiences really helped give me some insight into what it's like to travel internationally and get used and adjusted to a new time zone and prepare yourself to run at a place that isn't home, a place that isn't flatland Ohio here. So it really, that really helped prepare me. And then going into Rio, even though you're slightly prepared, it was a complete shell shock because it's a completely different place, um, different people, different situation. You had to really rely on the team that was there and the team staff who were all amazing to help you out and get you adapted and ready for your competition. And I, ha- I was very nervous. I had all of the nerve bugs in my stomach the couple of days before the butterflies. And the thing that I've always told people is about a month before I was there, uh, Wade Van Niekerk broke the world record in the same lane that I ran in. So it was incredible to be, to experience that and to walk in the stadium for the first time. And what really helped to me is my first event, the 400 had prelims at a nighttime race and there wasn't that many athletes to where making finals wasn't going to be that much of a challenge. And so that prelim day, I walked in with the, I'm going to absorb everything from this moment because I know that as long as I don't jump the gun and don't get out of my lane, that I, I should be able to make finals at that point. So I walked into prelim day and just soaked everything in. I looked around, made sure that I saw everything the huge stadium all the lights because i don't remember if the 200 was before that or not but every other race that i had you know your laser focused tunnel vision ready to compete and i i needed a time to be able to just absorb the moment and absorb the opportunity that i had that i had been working for so long for to make team usa and have the flag on my chest and rio was absolutely unbelievable and i don't think anything could ever be like it but Obviously, I'm hoping to make Tokyo 2021 now and give me a chance to 
do a little bit better, hopefully medal, but at the very least be able to, to wear that flag again on my chest and compete for the USA. And, and do you have a, a particular favorite event? 400 has kind of always been my thing. Although at the same time, I will preface it with nobody likes the 400. <laughs> People are just good at the 400 and therefore run the 400. But it's it's one of the most grueling events for sure. That and the 800 are both grueling, exhausting. Uh, I tend to throw up after I'm done running. That's just the way that the 400 goes. But it's also the event that I've usually been best at. And kind of that middle distance training is very hard. But with my mindset and determination, I think that has helped play into the fact that I've been pretty good at the 400 plus all the coaching that I've had. My high school coach was a distance guy and I was a sprinter. So I got up into that middle distance range. And then a coach that I had for a couple of years was really good working with 400 guys. And then here at Mount Union, we have a very long history of four by fours and 400 runners with the coach that we have. So I've not only had some great coaches to help train me to compete, to compete with that but also some great athletes that I'm able to train with when you're at a place like Mount Union we have eight guys that can go sub 50 in the 400 and you get to train with those guys day in and day out it really helps to raise the bar and and make everybody better so all in all it's it's a culmination of the coaching that I've had my mentality and the athletes that I've competed with as to why the 400 has been best for me I, I wish I wish for the life of me that I could be a 100 runner and just sprint and get it over with, but I've never had that short area quickness, short area speed. So 400 is kind of where I've settled my niche into and it's tough, but I also wouldn't change it uh, for the world really. So, you know, is it because it's a a middle kind of ground that no one likes it? (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not an endurance race. It's not a long distance race. Is that the reason why it's just kind of stuck in the middle? It's a uh, full lap sprint stuck in the middle. (laughs) And because it is a full lap sprint, that last straightaway when you watch people and they look like they're about to fall over, that's because they are about to fall over. The the muscles in in your legs and up into your butt just lock up like no other. And Mm -hmm. it it makes, I mean, when people are like fall down on the ground and collapse after a 400, that's because sometimes like I've experienced it, you literally can't walk anymore like for you need like a minute to just kind of lay on the ground and be like am am I okay like okay my legs are still there my feet aren't but that's normal you know and and get up and move on at that point but yeah it's kind of that middle middle ground where it's a lap long sprint and it's grueling and terrible but at the same time with with the opportunities that I've had to train for it I've been able to be to be a little bit better at it and, and be good at it and just take it in stride. And it's in my head that I'm going to run the 400. It's going to suck, but oh, well, we're going to go for it. <laughs> you mentioned Tokyo. Uh, obviously, we're all disappointed that, you know, uh, given the current pandemic situation we're, we're in internationally, that it can't happen this summer. What has that extra year meant in terms of your preparation or your mental, your, your, your mentality or anything along those lines? Well, I mentioned slightly earlier that I've had a little bit of hamstring issues. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to use this time, this extra time to make sure that I can get that right and get that fully healthy. And since I won't be competing indoor like I would before, indoor was kind of the most stressful to my hamstrings. So that is also 
a positive. And so I'm trying to look at all the positives that I can. And ultimately they sent out a survey to us team USA, USA athletes and nine out of 10 athletes had said that in some way their training was impacted by coronavirus, whether that was some people had no ability to train at all because nothing was open. Some people, things were so limited that it was hard to train. And so Ultimately, because of that nine out of 10, it was very much the right thing to move back a year hard, but the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, like I said, I'm determining how hard I want to row the boat and took some time off to recover, to heal up and have started to get back into it now to take this long nine months until I compete again to try to build up strength to start with and then to be able to get into actual running shape to to be able to compete at hopefully my highest level and i'm walking into if i can make tokyo i'm walking into it with the same mindset that i had in rio that i can't control how anybody else competes or runs all i can control is my own race and so i'm looking to run a personal best and if i can run a personal best and it's not a medal then so what because i gave it the best that i had i did the best i could and there was nothing more i could do because other people also were at their tops so i'm i'm just hoping to to be at my best physically and mentally and emotionally to compete at at my tip top shape once it comes around to next year in 21. We'll definitely be watching and following. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of just share in terms of what you're up to these days or anything else? Um, I guess somewhat is here because I have finished college and I'm waiting for that. I am taking a master's of athletic coaching. I've spent three years as a student assistant coach on the Mount Union football team. Uh, which is very good as 13 national championships since 92, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So to be able to spend three years, my first love was always football. And so to be able to spend three years as a student assistant coach and, and working towards what I want to ultimately do, which is become a college football coach, Uh, college track coach is also something that's on my radar, but with my love for football, I'm hoping to make that. And so I'm hoping to help out planning on helping out with the football team again this year and and help out for a fourth year and hopefully progress into an assistant coach role, whether that be here somewhere else uh, or helping out with the track team at the same time. But ultimately I am hoping to become a football coach and I'm spending spent my time the last three years and hopefully the future working towards that goal. Uh, And being in that, I just moved into my apartment with my fiance who I proposed to in February. So, uh, me and her, I'm very happy with Savannah and am grateful that she's a part of my life. Definitely has helped motivate me every single day to compete at the best that I can. So a lot has happened for me in my life these at the beginning here of 2020, as everybody has. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm very blessed in my in the situation that I'm at, and I'm hoping to just continue to do what I've always done, which is adapt to the best of my abilities and and move forward. Well, congratulations on that, by the way. I didn't know that you had, had been engaged. And uh, if folks are interested in following you, are you on particular social media platforms? Yeah, uh, Digby underscore AJ on Twitter. Um, and that's kind of really the only thing that I open up to, I would say, publicly. Mm-hmm. I would just say be prepared if you're following me on Twitter. I will tweet a lot about the Browns on Sundays. <laughs> I'm a diehard Browns fan. Uh, and I often am tweeting about IndyCar. I love auto racing, and IndyCar is kind of my – favorite of of the auto racing genre i guess so those are two things that i that i love to watch and 
be a part of and uh, essentially tweet about. So you'll see a lot of sports content from me if you follow me. And that's kind of, if you hadn't figured it out from the podcast, sports have kind of been most, most of my life. So it's fitting that it would continue in that regards. Well, AJ, I won't hold the former against you, um, but thank you very much for being my guest today. <laughs> thank you, of course, for having me on and uh, best of luck. Have a, have a good rest of your day and everybody out there, keep, keep pushing hard. Keep continuing to better yourself if you're an athlete and uh, get, let's get through this coronavirus and get back to athletics. Awesome advice. Thanks, AJ. Thanks.